Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter three, verses one to 18. Let's say the prayer on the screen as we pray together to hear God's word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed this Advent season, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Etyria and Trichonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors come, came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. And as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Laurie, thanks so much for braving those names. Those were awesome, and you did great. Let me just pray this morning as we dive right in. Lord, today uh, we do hear hard words of great joy from John. Would you help us to leave behind anything that keeps us from living in your joy? Would you help us to dive into hearing and doing your word, Lord? And would you help us to love you with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves? Amen. What kind of greeting is that? You brood of vipers. Can you imagine that all of you peel yourselves out of bed on the last day of your weekend and you drive on winter roads out to the city and 
you're coming to hear the word of God right here, Skyview. And instead of saying, hey, good morning, how are you? I'm like, you're just a bunch of snakes. Who told you I was preaching today? You better shape up, God is coming. Like, that's nuts. <clears throat> Fortunately, Luke gives us a little bit of introduction, so it's not quite so jarring. But we can take maybe a little bit of the sting or apply the sting of John's words you know, in a way that makes sense. If you've been through uh, Advent and Christmas with a church a few times, you probably know that, uh, that John was born as this miracle baby to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, they had a lot of trouble getting pregnant until one year when God shows up, or in his angel Gabriel, to, to Zechariah in the temple and says, you're, you're going to have a baby boy. And Gabriel told him that, his, that John was going to be great in the sight of the Lord, that even before his birth, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he would turn the hearts of the people back to their God. And then that's, that's kind of early on. And then Luke introduces us to Jesus and to tell some childhood stories that are sort of heartwarming. And, and then here's the adult John bursting in on the scene. And he's come to us this morning to turn the hearts of the people back to God. As we listen to John's words this morning, uh, there might be some hard things to say and some hard things to hear, but I'm really aiming at this joy <laughs> today. And I, I think there is a lot of joy that roots these hard words. And what I really don't want it to come across as is if you hear me saying hard words, it feels like I'm getting in your face at all. I'm, I guess I might be, but these are words that are like, I'm, I don't want to address this from me to you as much as from God to us. They're not words of accusation that I level against you from me, but as I hear from God that it's like, man, I need to hear this. That's what I'm saying, as much as anyone today. Um, also, it's a word that comes, like, it's very, very broad. It's way bigger than our, our little congregation this morning. Um, it's a word that first addresses the nation of Israel, and then by extension, it addresses the whole world, like all of humanity. And so this is, if it feels like the scope of this message is a little broad this morning, it's probably because the scope of this message is a little broad this morning. But what's the deal with that phrase in Luke, that he's going to turn the hearts of the people back to God? What's wrong with Israel's heart? This morning, I'd like to look at that first. We're going to look at what the trouble in the text is. Then we'll move and consider how that trouble kind of is still in our world today. Then we're going to hop back and see, well, what's, what's then the joy in this text? What's the grace that's there? And then how does that apply again into our lives today, our moves what is the joy that we have from the word that came to John in the wilderness? Also, right before I dive into the next bit, I heard last time I spoke that a lot of you maybe had some trouble hearing me, that I needed to speak up a little bit more. If you give me a thumbs up today, know that that's not amen way to go, but like, I can't hear you, please speak up. I have it written on my script. Here, speak up, please. Just, but yeah, give me that thumbs up if you can't hear me. <clears throat> so the angel, Gabriel, thinks that there's something wrong with Israel's heart. And John calls them this bunch of snakes when they come out to him for baptism. And it's really significant that Luke, the author of this gospel, describes John as the voice in the wilderness. Israel has been in exile, kind of like those Exodus and Numbers days wandering through the wilderness. And God has been largely silent for a few hundred years, really. Like we hear about 
prophets, but then there's this huge gap in between the prophets and then and John. And John just kind of bursts onto this scene calling Israel to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And so we get this sense, if he's calling them to repentance, there must be something wrong. Maybe this silence of God is actually warranted that he, he warned them, look, <laughs> I've sent you prophets and you're not listening, so fine, have it your way for a while. And John comes again, say, it's time to turn back to God. The last generations of prophets warned Israel that they must be faithful to God, that the God who chose them and called them out of slavery and gave them the law to show them how to live actually expected them to live according to that law. And so we heard in our call to worship this morning from Zephaniah this great joy that God has over his people when they return to him. John has that same thing in view as he comes on the scene. But when Israel refused to trust God, and when they put their trust in idols or in their own strength or in the strength of others through like political alliances, through very important friendships, they were swept away into the consequences of those decisions. I think, I think sometimes God's judgment is like that, that he just lets the consequences of our decisions fall right in our laps. He says, I'll provide for you and I'll, you can trust me. And if you trust someone else, then we'll, you see how that trust goes. So what are those sins that needed forgiveness for Israel, this trouble in the text? The sins of idolatry, that they were worshiping false gods. Some sins of immorality in, in drunkenness and stealing and adultery and violence. <clears throat> sins of injustice, I think especially come to the fore today. Greed and selfishness keeping Israel from loving their neighbors, from extending their own provision, from helping the crowds that came out to John, who he called those brood of vipers, they were caught in this system. And we get a sense that there's even more to it than just that system. It's more than they were just doing the wrong things and not doing the right things. There was actually something wrong with their hearts. Because every time that God sent this prophet to them and said, look, <laughs> things are not going well, you need to turn around, they wouldn't listen. They usually killed the prophet. They shot the messenger. Their hearts were hard, they had excuses, and they justified themselves. <clears throat> and because they didn't change, they found themselves swept away in the stream of consequences that they had chosen. I'm going to try and make a distinction this morning. Their, their sins, what they did or didn't do, were problems and created problems for them outside, and their sin that bent of their heart away from God, kept them stuck in those problems. And it showed in their lives and in the lives of the poor around them. There's, you are either taken advantage of because of the sins that are, you're taking advantage of someone or you're taking advantage of someone and you're not living in this, this whole life of love that God has called you to. I don't think it takes that much imagination to see sort of similar problems in our world today. It's very applicable on even a national scale, we're concerned with national interest, with the alliances that we have, with the agreements and trade agreements and um, building up military, all of this. And it's, you're just kind of looking out for your best interest. And that's kind of 
that's kind of the, the root, I think, of our, our liberal, independent, capitalist values. <laughs> Honestly, it's if you do what's good for you, and everyone adopts that philosophy, then you'll, we'll all make it, okay? So we see that on a national scale, on a provincial scale, and on a personal scale, too. If you, you do you, and you take care of yourself, it'll all work out. It's okay. There's not, there's, it's kind of alienating. There's no sense of us in that. It's just you, you bear the weight of your responsibility. And we even kind of Christianize it, too, when we, when we look at each other and say, oh, it's okay, God will provide for your need and, and do nothing because, well, because you, you do you and I do me and we take care of ourselves. It's okay. You look after your own family. It's not in the budget. We, we justify reasons why we can't help. And sometimes we have real reasons why we can't help because there is an end of our means. But... Sometimes we don't do what's right, and we can. Um, and if anyone gets in our face about it, the cardinal sin of Canada, we calmly let them know that's not politically correct to criticize someone's values? Come on. And in, inside, it's not so nice. We see the rage. Like, if you only knew what my life was like. I think we've all had the experience of doing something wrong while we knew we were doing something wrong whether it be big or small. And when someone gets in your face about it, tells you that it's wrong, that you should change, I mean, for me, that, that doesn't usually go over big. <laughs> I don't like it when people tell me how to live my life. I usually get defensive and start to justify myself and make excuses. There's something wrong with me. It's like my heart is hard. I don't listen to my own conscience sometimes, and when other people agree with my conscience, I usually disagree with them. <clears throat> so John does get in our face a bit when he says, come back to God. And we come to church today, for whatever reason we came to church today, and we hear John's words, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Maybe it was the news that warned us that we should flee after we hear day after day that humanity really can't save itself in all of our best efforts. Or maybe your family told you today as you had yet another fight or tried to stuff another fight down and didn't, didn't want to deal with that. You knew your family couldn't save itself. Something's wrong with our hearts. Or maybe the Lord told you this morning as you look in the mirror and you weren't really sure if you wanted to live another day in your own shoes, <laughs> didn't want to face today's problems and you knew you couldn't save yourself. The word of God that came to John in the wilderness around 25 or 30 AD is still a word of God for us this morning. What are those sins that we need forgiveness for as a human race? The sin of idolatry? Worshiping self through our obsession with stuff or obsession through of personal achievement and career, worshiping money with a constant need for more, worshiping family to the exclusion of the lonely, or maybe sins of immorality, of self-indulgence or greed or addiction, maybe sins of injustice as we happily receive God's provision for us and store it away while there are those who, who lack what they need. 
Just a side note here. It's really great to deliver this message this morning when we've heard about the generosity of this community. We've already, already heard that this, <laughs> this community is one that can do great things as we pool our resources and pay off, even early, uh, a very ambitious capital campaign. Not like terribly unrealistically, like it's not like it was poorly planned at all, but really, this is a wonderful achievement today. And so as we hear that, that call, and we're returning towards kind of a hopefulness, it's with great hope today that I, I think of what happens when we share our provisions of what we could accomplish as a small congregation. One of the problems that comes to mind for me is I think just want to put a really concrete example. <clears throat> this semester I just kind of got sidetracked in my studies and I went to calgaryhomeless.com because I was reading from Mother Teresa and her ministry at the homeless and I was like, I wonder what, what it's like here. And I was really shocked when I found out that calgaryhomeless.com estimates that there are less than 3,000 homeless people in Calgary. I was like, that seems, to me anyways, small. There's a million people in our city. There's way more Christian homes in our city than there are people who need homes. And that's where it kind of just really hit me, where it's like, we could do something about that. <clears throat> I'm not suggesting it's an easy thing to do or a simple issue. There's, whether it be personality disorders or addictions or criminal records, all of this, it's not like a, a safe thing necessarily to open your home to a stranger, but it seems so reachable for that moment when I thought about how many Christians are there in our city versus how many homeless are there in our city. And I wonder if John's word applies there. Whoever has two coats should share with those who have none, and whoever has food should share with those who have none, and whoever has extra house to spare, that's me. I've got empty rooms in my house. <laughs> should share with those who have none? Still waiting for that joy to come around. We're making that turn now. John is so direct. He so casually dismisses all of the excuses that I give him for why I, I, don't, I can't open my house to a stranger. If I was just saying, share what you have. There's a deep promise of God that this directness assumes. Namely, the promise that God will provide. So when I first read through this text, and I wondered how I could approach this in a sermon. How, how do I preach this? I figured I'd better look ahead to see what Jesus does. Because John even says in our passage today, you know what, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. You should, you should look for Jesus. So I'm like, great. Maybe Jesus will round out this very pointed assault that John brings us today. He doesn't. He gets stronger through the gospel of Luke. Jesus gets even more direct. John says, hey, you should share your stuff. And Jesus says, none of you can become my disciples if you do not give up all of your possessions. What? But both John and Jesus have this deep faith in this deep promise that God will provide. 
how does this work? I think it goes something like this. I think there's some Jesus economic principles that we can learn from the Gospel of Luke. And the first one that is just assumed by this is that God has given the people of Israel everything that they have. Every breath, every meal, every hug, all of the things that they need for life. God made the whole world and he sustains its life. Everything that you have is from God, John says to the people in Israel. And more than that, Jesus continues developing this. He promises that God will continue to provide for Israel as they trust him. Jesus says even the ravens get what they need to eat. Even the flowers have the warmth and the shelter they need to grow, the clothing. God will care for the people. God has chosen Israel to be this people who distinctively trusts God, trusts that he will provide for them, and shows that trust by providing for each other, providing for those who have needs. So in short, not only does God love Israel and provide for their needs, but he also invites them to be full of love and to enjoy that blessing by sharing it with others. I get the image of a banquet, that it's like if you have plenty of food, and you're sitting alone at a table, there's something wrong. <laughs> Just, but like last week around our banquet when there's plenty of food that you can share and celebrate, you share the goodness of God with each other. It's a party. It's that kind of kingdom of God party that even this daring word invites us into. Do you see how God shows up in both of those areas of human need. So I talked about the sins where you're either doing what's wrong or not doing what's right, and the sin that gets inside of you. Even this command gets into both of those areas because God saves us from doing the wrong things and from failing to do the right things, but then he invites us to choose to do that. He invites our hearts to open up into that love, into that fullness, So it's good news that God provides for us. It's even greater news in a sense that he kind of gives it to one person. You're like, well, that's unfair. Look at the people around you. And it's like, well, why didn't you provide for them, God? Well, he did. If he gave you more than you need and says, he just kind of invites you to share in that provision, to share that provision with others. And it gets deeper than do the right things and enjoy my blessings. Share my blessings, share in my heart. That's what, that's what this call to repentance calls us to today. <clears throat> I kind of get the image of almost like a, an apprenticeship or like a family business where you, you grow up and your dad teaches you. Only it's Jesus is growing up and his dad is teaching him to save people. And then he goes and he saves people and he teaches them to save people. You're adopted into the family and you're taught the family trade. Israel gets to work alongside God. And the salvation doesn't just splash onto them like the waters of baptism. It dives right into their heart, this baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. It changes them from the inside out. God is still faithful to that promise today. Even as we face our sins and our sinfulness, it's a world in need of God's rescue. God is still the source of our life and our breath, our food and our hugs, our families, our homes. 
And God still invites us to share in his provision, to be part of the kingdom of heaven coming on earth as it is in heaven, to receive his salvation not just as a splash over us, but as an anointing, a soaking through that fills us up and spills out onto other people. So I know I'm tempted to despair <laughs> pretty much every time I hear the news or read the news, because I'm always like, something worse than I'd ever imagined seems to always come up, and it's just like, man, people could do that? <laughs> come on. And at the same time, I'm tempted to think that it, me and my own effort and us in our own effort, we could band together and just change the world. There's a lot of humanist hype, like we can fix things. Let's just, let's just do it if we just try hard enough. And John faces both of those temptations with an even deeper call to us today that we can turn to God who has saved the world and who extends an invitation for us to save the world with him. Jesus has filled his church with the Holy Spirit to free us from our sin. So every action of love, however small it feels in the scope of that news of despair and my life of my little offering, no matter how small that contribution is, we're participating in this greater work of God that has already saved the world. We look forward to his completion of that saving, and we participate. He invites us to be part of it. As I prayed just before the message, um, it could be that the Lord is calling you to turn around from some of those sins or from that, that sinfulness that you see that in yourself. Um, and if you want to pray through that with somebody today, I would, I would love to do that. There are those here who can pray with you too. I'm just going to be kind of lingering over at the front corner here if you feel like you want to pray with someone after, after service. I know for me, I found it super helpful to, to actually go to someone. It's not something that the Protestant tradition is really big on, this whole confession thing, but it's been so helpful to go and just to, when you actually name your sin to someone and they speak back the love of God to you and the forgiveness of God to you, it's not, there's nothing hidden anymore. So you can, you can go to God and kind of wonder man, is this really okay? Am I really forgiven? To have someone who's there to promise you, yeah, the love of God actually does reach that deep. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. It can be so freeing. Anyway, if, you, if that's on your heart this morning, I'd love to pray with you. It might also be that God is calling you to, to do some of the right things, and it's been on your heart for a while, or maybe it's just a new idea this morning um, to do something that's good. And if you want to pray for either the courage to see that through, or if you just want somebody to kind of check in with you later, because I know for me, sometimes if I have like a, a thing to do that I don't really want to do, but I know I should do it, you know these things. It's really helpful to have somebody just, I know he's going to check in with me next Sunday. I know Carly's going to check in with me because I said I wanted to do that. And I'm way more likely to do the thing that I want to do if someone's going to check in. If you, anything like that, again, we can, we can pray for courage. Or I, we can just check in with each other. You don't have to do that with me either. If you just talk to a trusted friend. But I, I encourage you to do that today. Don't, don't delay with that. Don't put it off. God is calling us into saving the world every small step at a time. If you want prayer for anything else, Please feel free, come on up. For now, let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, thank you for these words of John that point us to your Son, Jesus Christ, as the one who rescues us from our sins and from our sin. Jesus, thank you for becoming one of us and showing us that God's love doesn't stay away from us in heaven, but comes down and touches us even when we're broken and dirty and proud of it. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us again today? Fill us with a perfect love for others that overcomes our fear of them. Fill us with a solid faith that you will provide for us as we trust you and follow you. As we follow you, shore up our hope that you have rescued our broken world and you will see that rescue through the end. Amen.